Thank you. My name is Wayne. I'm the pastor here at DCC, and uh, <clears throat> just got a little choked in my coffee. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll be okay. Uh, but I'm excited to be with you today <clears throat> as we just engage uh, the resurrection together, and it's what we celebrate. Uh, you know, for us, Easter, this is why we believe. This is why we are here as a church today. It's why we exist. Uh, the resurrection means that the words that Jesus said were true. It shows that he is the son of God, that he, he was crucified. He had to die. It was important to have someone take the penalty of the sin, the payment of the debt that we gave and that we owed. <clears throat> and he took that for us. But then defeating death in the grave shows that God exists. And that is the center, the starting point, really, of why we believe. <clears throat> And so that should give us a great foundation and make us secure, and it does. And so if that were true, then we should be open to questions and all these different things. But unfortunately, the church hasn't always been known uh, for taking questions. And, uh, and so and, but that's just kind of like naturally who we are. We, we are prone to just find out about stuff. I think, I think especially in the city, like we, we love to drive things forward. And so we just kind of, we question things and find a better way to kind of pursue it and to move it. And so like we, we just, but it, it just is natural as human beings to ask questions. I was, I was thinking about how um, <clears throat> a while ago now, but uh, when my when firstborn, my daughter, uh, we were uh, going through appointments to uh, figure out if she was going to, I just, bl- I just blew the, anyway, uh, if she's going to be a boy or a girl. Obviously, she's a girl. And uh, <clears throat> that actually isn't the point of the story, thank goodness, because I otherwise would be done. But um, <clears throat> we were, it was our first kid, and uh, it was a hospital in lower Manhattan. I was working up at Midtown and was traveling down, and she was coming across the river, and we were kind of meeting there, and we were all excited, you know, and so we were going to find out. Now technology has improved. You don't have to wait that long, and it's not been that long ago. I mean, I'm not that old, okay, but uh, it's amazing how things move and improve. But anyway, so uh, but we had to wait like five months doing an ultrasound, but we were excited, and we had to wait, and in the waiting room and all these different things, we finally get in to the appointment, and it was this tiny room because, you know, everything in Manhattan is small. And so, you know, it was super dark so the, the girl, the technician could see the screen. And, you know, I'm thinking, uh, my weird warped world, like this person would be all excited and be like, all right, you ready? And like, you know, three, two, like, what's it going to be? And so we're just waiting around, and she's, getting, she's got everything set up, and I'm thinking that's still going. And all of a sudden, she just goes, yeah, it's a girl. And we we're like, wait, what? Like, just out of this, just, yeah, it's a girl. We're like, really? And, and my first question was, are you sure? <laughs> I mean, it was just a made comedy because, I mean, this girl's like, yeah, like, you know, I don't know if she answered like that, but, but uh, here, here we are hearing the news, we're having a girl, and, and not even thinking about my wife's emotions, typical guy. Uh, I, I questioned it. I was like, are you sure? It was so fast. Like, are you really sure? Like, uh, and I just wanted to know. And so she's like, yeah. And so she shows me, she shows us how she knows. And so she proves it. And she's like, here are organs. <laughs> Clearly the female anatomy. And it took me a while because it's like for a technician, yeah, it's like the matrix. Like they just see through it. But then, <clears throat> but it was amazing. And so the questions brought about really definitive proof. And guess what? She was right. <clears throat> My daughter's here today. And so... You know, she was dead on. But the questions led to, like, knowing it more, a firmer foundation. And so I think that's absolutely true 
for us, especially when we talk about the resurrection. And if you're someone who's new to faith or on a pursuit or haven't thought much about it, whatever it may be, but even if you're someone who is a Christ follower and you have seasons of doubt, like this can cause a lot of anxiety for you depending on where you're at on that, that spectrum. And so, and so something that's not really talked a lot about is spiritual doubt. But I think it's so important to, to, to engage this, especially on Easter, to say questions are welcome, <clears throat> especially if you're pursuing faith. You should have the freedom to pursue this. And it's one of our hopes here is that this is a safe place for you to come and ask your questions of God and begin a faith journey towards Him. Many have. <clears throat> Many have. And so... Uh, depending on who you are, you might be more skeptical, especially if you didn't grow up with a faith background or all, whatever it may be. And so um, you need questions, answers first and to see. And so that, that's a good thing. But when I grew up in church, that was never really a thing. Like everybody around you just kind of believed. It was a, it was a pretty big uh, community and a larger church. And, and, and so there was just kind of never even this thought of this. It was just always true. And it was never really challenged until I moved out, moved on to college and even post-college life when I had more significant challenges to my faith. But what's been beautiful about that is it's deepened my faith. One of the reasons I love living in the city is, is any aspect of my faith is, is ultimately going to be challenged. <clears throat> and that's a beautiful thing. But, you know, a lot of people have different backgrounds. Maybe for you, you've, you've grown up very skeptical or atheist or whatever it may be. And for you, to, for someone to have faith seems foolish. And you really doubt the existence of God. Or maybe some of you would say, you know, I believe God might be there, but he's just not involved. He doesn't really hear our prayers. Or maybe you've just, you've done some things that you're ashamed of, you regret, and you, you doubt that God can love you. Not after all that you've done. Maybe you wanted to believe, but then you met Christians, or you encountered the church, and, uh, and you struggle. And that's really one of the reasons why we started Downtown Community seven years ago, was we want to love people in a way and show them, maybe they, th- they start thinking differently about who Jesus is. And that's one of our hopes, is that we love well. And so, and in the church, if you've engaged with the, you know, the overall general church, many times has kind of put this thing along and says, if you have doubts, then you're not really believing. I just want to say that's not true. That's not true. I believe questions are really what will truly free us. And that was what Jesus was all about, is to come and to seek him and to ask and engage. And so a lot of times we, we create our own dialogue. This maybe, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the church. The church doesn't always do this. But sometimes just we naturally think, oh, if I doubt, oh, I don't have strong enough faith. We say that, if I, don't, if I doubt, I don't have strong enough faith. And I think, I would say that's false. Let's change that statement. Let's say this. If, if you, if I would say you might not have strong faith unless you work through honest doubts. God is not afraid for you to go through struggle, for you to grow. And many times it's how we grow. is that He leads us through struggle. And we'll wrestle with different things. And it allows us to know him deeper. And that can be beautiful. <clears throat> so I want to help us engage that today. And I just want to invite you in, wherever you may be on your faith journey. <clears throat> so doubt is not the end of real faith. It's often the beginning. So what I want to do is read through 
uh, the resurrection story, the story of Christ resurrecting from the dead. And last week, uh, we, we walked through and really meditated on Christ's, Christ's death, his crucifixion, and all the events leading up uh, to his death. And it's so important, it's, a, such a, it's an identity for us as Christ followers. As he sacrificed and gave his life for us. <clears throat> and we want to continue to live that way and for, for joy, for happiness. Real love is, is sacrificial. And Jesus was the example of that. He didn't just say, hey, you should do this. He did it. He made himself like a slave and died for us. <clears throat> and then he rose from the grave proving that he is the son of God. And if that's true, then it has incredible meaning and hope for our lives. So I want to read through this. And so we have uh, what we call four written accounts of Jesus' life. We call them the Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And today we're going to read out of Luke's account and a little bit out of John's account as we walk through Jesus' resurrection and when he began to appear uh, to his followers uh, soon after that. And Luke is, is, is great. Luke went and interviewed. He says at the beginning of his, of his epistle that he just began to interview you know, hundreds of people. And we have so many great details in the Gospel of Luke, and I love it. And so let's pick this up. We've, we've taken his, his Gospel and marked it into chapters and verses. And so this is chapter 24 for those keeping track, starting in verse 1. It says this. It says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. So why were they doing this? What was interesting is when Jesus, when Jesus was crucified, it was right at the edge of uh, the beginning of the Sabbath. And in the Jewish culture, the Hebrew culture, it was really important. They had to rush that because they could not do any kind of work. And so they needed to rush him to his burial into the tomb. And so they didn't have time to do what they normally would have done in the customs of, of doing the burial spices and other things they did to prepare the body. And so they were coming back once the Sabbath had lifted, it was over and everything. They were coming back to actually do that officially. They weren't coming to find a resurrected Jesus, even though he had told them that's what was going to happen. They were coming to finish what they needed to do. So it continues, it says, They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. It was this giant stone that was put there to, to seal it, and they had, were supposed to have Roman guards there. So they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, so they're, they're like, what's going on? Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. So a massive, huge statement to them. He's not here. You're looking for the living among the dead. They're looking for the dead in the dead, right? And, and it's this huge, they're announcing Jesus' resurrection. And I love this. He reminds, the angels then remind them of what Jesus has told them. They said, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? He said, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. He's reminding him of what Jesus had been telling them over and over again. But his death brought devastation. Even though he had said these things, they just could not comprehend a death and a resurrection. A resurrection was not what the culture talked about or anticipated. 
wasn't insanely mystical as we might would think. They were devastated. So they say that to them, and then it says this, and I love this. It says, then they remembered his words. And the resurrection jolted the followers. They go from being devastated to boldly proclaiming the resurrection in just a few days. It's amazing. It says, then they remembered the words. And this is one of the reasons why we, we, these are such believable accounts and we have so much faith in these, these eyewitness accounts, these written accounts of Jesus' life because they did not write about themselves in favorable ways. Usually when you're trying to convince people something, you embellish it. It's just typical, but really the opposite. Over and over again, the gospel writers, including the, the actual writers themselves, wrote like, terrible accounts of themselves. Like they, how they, they, they messed up or they faltered or they didn't have faith or they didn't believe in different times. And like they, they did things that really made them look bad. And so like they would have had to walk around and saying, yeah, that was, I thought those things. That's not, it, 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 so it's actually a, a very honest, believable account. It's amazing. So it continues here. It says, When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. So who were the eleven? Who does that mean? Well, Jesus had an inner group of disciples, and there was a group of people, probably about 30 or so, men and women that, that were around Jesus quite a bit, referred to the disciples. But then in the custom of the time, he had a group of 12 that, he, that followed him around that he taught more intensely. And they were referred to as the 12, but Luke calls them the 11, because Judas, who was one of the 12, betrayed him. And in that whole betrayal process, Judas ended up killing himself. And so he's referring it to the 11. And this is a very common thing. You see it all throughout scriptures. They refer to the group of people by name. And it could be a couple of them there or all of them there. This is a really bad example, and I'm possibly ruining the whole resurrection story this morning. But like we, this, we do this in our culture today. Like We talk about the Kardashians. So there's like, I don't know, I don't know their names. This is a problem. There's so many of them, right? But we just know like there's a group, there's, and there's, there's Kim, I know, and then there's, isn't there a Rob? I don't know, like, but like you could have a couple of them, but then that's, we still refer to them as the Kardashians, right? So there, I'm sorry, I ruined it all. But like, this is what we do. Like if you have an organization, you have the CEOs, and it's like a couple of them there, like, oh, the CEOs are over there. It could be all of them or a couple, you know. So we, we just kind of, so that's what they do. And so... He refers to the 11. So these were the the close disciples that Jesus had taught intensely. And so when they came back from the tomb, they went to the 11 and was like, hey, this is what happened. And then Luke records who the women were. He says, it was Mary Magdalene. And by the way, there are a lot of Marys in the the account of Jesus. There's, I think, like four or more? Anyway, we have Mary Magdalene who who had been healed by Jesus of, of several demons and for some reason, in some of the pop culture stories, she became known as a prostitute, which we have no idea how that came out. She was healed of demons, uh, but there's no truth of that at all, just so you know. And so she was one of his devoted followers. So a, a woman named Joanna. Uh, we know through the scriptures, Joanna's husband was this cool name named Chusa, and he was a manager of Herod, the king of that whole region. Uh, he was a manager of his, like, palace. And so Luke had a lot of details about Herod. There's a lot of great historical details that, that, that were brought out about him. And we think it's probably because of Joanna and her close ties to the palace. So that's who she was. You have Mary, the mother of James. There are a couple of James, and this was one of them, and his, his mother was there. Uh, and then the others uh, with them who told this to the apostles. But here's what's interesting. They come and it's, hey, they're like, hey. Jesus is gone. We have two angels that said he's, not, he's risen. 
So what's their response? These 11 have been taught intensely by Jesus. It says, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Now, now let's just be clear. They, it, they didn't believe them because they are women. That's not why, okay? <laughs> That's not true at all. We'll, we'll get into the importance of women in this story. It's because they, they just did, they were not expecting the resurrection. It's incredible. Like it just seemed like they, they, it was something that didn't happen or they, it wasn't some mystical belief. Like it, it was just, it seemed to them like nonsense. And maybe that's what some of this sounds like to you. And I just think I want you to hear that and to understand that like somebody like you really believe that Jesus rose from the grave and all these events happened. And yes, we do. We have so many things that give us incredible confidence because they saw the resurrected Jesus. They saw him physically die and then rise from the grave. And this is so important for us. And there's things that I can point you toward. There's things that you can read to investigate that. It's very hard to disprove the resurrection. And it will lead you to faith, I believe, if you pursue it. But they felt the same way. This, this, this can't be real. It's really interesting. Another fascinating thing is that women were the beginning, the starting point of the resurrection story. They were the one who discovered Jesus. Any scholar of the time would have done everything they can to dissuade them from writing that story. They'd have been told, you can't write that. This seems unbelievable to us now, but because women at the time were not considered to be credible witnesses. And there was, in the culture at the time, women and children were not looked upon favorably at all. And it's very sad. And now we're like, we, we've had Supreme Court justices, like the top of the, of the justice system for years and decades. We just, we just nominated and elected another one. It's a common thing for us to have that now. And so it would have not have been written, like considered credible, they would have been dissuaded. But why do they, they wrote that because it's true, because it happened. And it's one of the reasons why I have incredible confidence in these, these accounts. It's incredible. And it shows how Christ raised the value in culture. In fact, the more that the church engaged in the Roman culture after Jesus' resurrection, when the church took off, it raised the value of so many things. Many of the values that we have come from what Christ has given us, any value of love in our culture today, of, of treating others well, it comes from our Judeo-Christian ethics. It's incredible. So women were at the center of this resurrection story. And so they come and they announce this, and they, it says the 11 didn't believe them. But then it says, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. He's like, I got to see. So he goes straight there. He runs there, and I know from John's account, John was with him, and Peter went, Peter went right into the tomb. He says, bending over, he saw three strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. So it says he's still not fully there yet. It's incredible. And then after this, Jesus began to appear to different people. So he appeared to two men who were walking on a road to Emmaus. And he walks beside them. And they're like, hey, come in. And they were Christ followers. Come in and, and, and stay with us as we did. And he began to break bread with them. And as soon as he began to say the words of breaking bread, they suddenly realize it's Jesus. And they, they're amazed and they're, they're freaked out. And Jesus moves on. And so they then go tell the 11 as well. So we'll pick this back up in Luke 24, 33. It says, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together saying, It is true, 
The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And so here are these, these disciples, the 11, and they're, like, they're just getting reports. People are coming in saying, we are seeing Jesus. He's appearing to us. Jesus has risen from the grave. It's incredible. And then it says, he appears to them right there. It says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. It's an incredible moment. So how do they respond? They freak out. <laughs> Listen to what it says. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. It's incredible. And Jesus says to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? He acknowledges. They this is happening, and they're, they're doubting it. They, it's, 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 it's an unbelievable event, and they're just soaking it in. But he doesn't leave them there in their doubts. I know you're reading on. <laughs> he doesn't leave them there in their doubts. He engages. He says, he says, look at my hands and my feet. They can see the scars. He goes, it is, my, it is I myself. Touch me and see. He gives them a reason to believe. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, attack them or whatever or disparage them for their doubts. He invites them in. I love that. But here's a really fascinating detail. It says they came to the 11, but, you know, referring to them as a group, right? So he comes to the disciples. Well, Thomas wasn't there. And we know this because John writes about this same account and talks about this. And, and I have this whole this, this, uh, theory, this is totally my account, but I'm while Thomas is there. So in John, he, this is what John says in talking about this. Now John, he says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, and this is a really bad joke I've been telling for years. He's, he was the first Diddy, all right? Thank you for laughing and humoring me. That's good. Um, he says, one of the twelve. Isn't that interesting? You know, John is still referring him to him as the twelve. Now they eventually replaced... John wrote this about 70 years, his account after Jesus' uh, resurrection. And so they still, in the 12, referred to another scripture. It's, it's fascinating. So there's Jesus, a part of the group. He says, now Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so in my whole, like, speculation, like, made-up story about this is, like, they, they were hiding. They were in this upper room hiding. They were scared. Like, they, Jesus had been killed. So if they went after him, they're probably going to go after his most loyal people. They, they were going to be coming after them next. And they were, they were afraid. And so, and so they, and like, but they got to eat. I don't know. So they, like, sent somebody out. They're like, all right, Thomas, you're going on a coffee run. Or like, all right. And, and so they, like, cast lots like they do in the time. Or they did something. And Thomas is probably like, oh, it's always me. I always be the one that goes out. Like, I knew it. You know? And then, like, or maybe they're going out for wine because they're, they're devastated. I don't know. Like, they're like, we got to do something. So, so they send him out for something. And then while he's gone, Jesus comes. And so John says this. This is why. Anyway, it's a total made-up story. But anyway. So he comes back. He says, so the, it says here, continues. So the other disciples told him when he comes back, we have seen the Lord. And can you imagine? He's like, oh, are you serious? I leave. And now, now you say Jesus came. Like, yeah, we saw you. Like, you're joking. You're totally lying. You know, like, I don't know. 
Uh, but the reason I say that is because his, his, here is his actual response. He says, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He's like, I'm going to do the same things you did. What's funny about this whole account is Thomas has become, became known as Doubting Thomas. All these funny things we've attached to people. But just, just for the record, just for Thomas' sake, all the others doubted too. Remember what Jesus said to them? He goes, why do you have doubts in your mind? They just got the doubt as a group and he, got, you know, he missed it. So, uh, but I love that. He, he's like, I need, the same, I need the same thing. Thomas refused to settle for secondhand faith. And I think that's it's important. Do you believe because of family background or history? Like, do you is Jesus really God of your life? Maybe that's something for you to pursue. Or do you, do you believe because your parents believe? Or is your faith kind of just there to try to help help you feel good in your life? Or maybe you, maybe you're like, is Christianity just a myth? What about other world religions? Is Jesus really the only way to God? Because that's what Jesus said. He's, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus wasn't being arrogant. Jesus said, no one can come to the Father except through me. He's, he's proclaiming to us what's actually true. It's the most loving thing he could say. And if that's true, then we need to know. And so really, the starting point of our faith and the first question we really ask is, did Jesus rise from the dead? Did he rise from the grave? And, and then he would say, well, why did he have to die? And did it really happen? Because if Jesus has risen, then that truth demands my whole life. If it's not true, then none of the other things really matter. It's a question worth asking. It's one that I stand so firmly on. And it brings hope to my life. He is the best thing that I can pursue. And so the Thomas, does Jesus banish Thomas? Like he had all these examples, all these people that he knows well and deeply does he banish him for his questions? Like, they're all saying, we've seen Christ. So what happens? Well, John tells us, it says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. He's like, I'm not leaving you guys ever. Like, can somebody else go? <laughs> like, I go to the bathroom. Like, you guys yell, like, I'm coming right out. Like, I'm, there's not, he's like, I'm not missing it. Anyway, so Thomas was with him. He says, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, there is it again, peace be with you. And then I love this. He looks at Thomas. He says, then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. I love this. Jesus gave Thomas what he needed to believe. He engaged him. I mean, questions really was one of the big parts of Jesus' ministry. Before he even started his ministry, he, he had lived for around 30 years or so. He just was in the culture, living among the people. And then he, he did his ministry for about three years or so, and and he called these, these, this 12 to him, and they were constantly with him teaching and hearing. And they just asked him questions. They didn't get stuff. And like he would teach these parables, these stories about different things. And, 
And then and they would wait because they wanted to look good in front of others. And they finally got by, by with him. And they'd be like, what does that mean? We were totally clueless. Like, and he would just, over and over again, like he, he performed miracles. And they'd forget or they wouldn't really realize what's happening. And he's like, don't you see? And, and he would just constantly, he was a constant teaching. And they just came to him engaging with questions. And this is still the same for us today. God is leading us on a journey. If you allow him to lead your life, he, he wants to lead you and the desires and the passions of your heart. He is working in our lives and still continuing to weave a story in us. And I believe he'll engage your life and, and call you towards growth and struggle and all these different things. He's working in all of this. And questions were the point of Jesus' ministry, to come and to engage this glorious God. If we are willing, I believe we will find him. In faith. Maybe that's why you're here today, to engage. And so Jesus says, top doubting and believe. And listen to what Thomas says. This is, I love this. As Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. That's the full believing statement. And I believe that's the beautiful point of many of our lives where we say, we get to that place. We say, you're my Lord, you're my God. I'm yours. Why would we ever do that? Because we found the one that is truly life, the one that is truly love. He is the best thing that we can pursue. He is life. He is joy. He is happiness better than anything else that we could find here. And we say, my Lord and my God. But getting there starts with a journey, as it was for Thomas, and God invites you and I into that same journey. Doubt is not the end of real faith. Often, it's the beginning. It's not the end. Often, it's the beginning. Christ followers, many times you, you may find yourself in this period of doubt, or maybe you find yourself saying over and over again, and go, God, where are you? I don't feel like you were here. And many times we don't realize that we've, we've detached ourselves. Like we, we live our lives almost as if God doesn't exist, and we, we become so wrapped up in our own lives and our selfishness and our brokenness that, that we just feel more and more distant, and we're just choked up with the, the consequences of how we're living our life, and we don't feel like God is there, and we, we have more and more anxiety and, 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 and hurt and, and stress, and all these different things are building up in us, and many times we just need to re-engage that relationship. We don't realize the, the weeds that we've allowed to grow up in our hearts. And we like, I know somewhere in there, there's this beautiful work of grace. Many times we just need to re-engage this loving Father. Doubts can come from our own sin and brokenness. But many times it's because of how God is leading you as you struggle to grow Maybe you're moving from this faith that your parents had to your own. And I believe you engage that. You invite Christ into that. He will grow you deeper into that relationship with him. For some of you, this is the way we start our faith. We begin by asking questions and figuring that out. It's the way Jesus led 
his disciples. And eventually they gave their all. They saw this resurrected Christ. Peter, Peter, one of the, the, the leaders of this group, he, he ran to the tomb, right? Just two, three days before that, he had denied Jesus. When Jesus was on his way to, to his death, he was freaking out. And people were like, hey, you're with him, right? And he began to deny Jesus. And Jesus told him he would, and he did it. And he's devastated. Well, Jesus, I mean, excuse me, but Peter eventually gave his life for that. He died upside down on a cross. He refused to be crucified the same way as Christ. James, who was the brother of Jesus, died. He was thrown over 100 feet off of a building and beaten with clubs. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote so many of our scriptures, was tortured and beheaded. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Thomas, Thomas, He died in India. He was speared in in a cave. He died for the Lord he once doubted. So Jesus is risen, and this truth demands my whole life. It's the meaning for us. It means that God loves you. He exists. We've been made to be eternal. There is more to this life. worth pursuing. Because you're like, yeah, I'd love for him to appear <laughs> like he did for them. How do you believe? And this, Jesus talked about that. We'll end with this. In this conversation with Thomas, Jesus says to him, he says, then Jesus told them, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And many have And one of the huge reasons we have is these eyewitness accounts that are really hard to explain any other way. You are invited onto this journey. I hope that you'll come and and continue to engage with us. Christ follower, for you, are you able to say, my Lord and my God? This week, how can you reflect on the resurrection and engage this incredible God who's engaged you? Are you, do you have doubts? Are you anxious? Engage your Heavenly Father. Seek Him first, just like Jesus taught us to. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your words to us, that you haven't left us without hope or without knowing, but we have a lot that we can stand on. You want us to know you care about us. You came down to us to show us that very thing. Lord, we live in a world that's just full of anxiety and stress, that is completely unsure. But Father, today the resurrection says that no matter what's happening, we always have hope. That even death is not the end because you defeated death in the grave. That's why we celebrate you today and we sing of this. God, I pray today that we would would learn to lean into you and to find you. You're the only one that truly brings hope and peace to our lives. We thank you for that. I pray that we would experience that today. We love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.